0: Ideas Inspiration Innovation This is The Game Changer And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald Good afternoon, this is Chicky Fitzgerald and I am... So glad to welcome today to our show, John Terry, and John is an author of a book called Black Belt Leadership 101, What It Takes to Be a Black Belt Leader in Life. John, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Chicky.
0: Well, John, you know, it's funny because you and I have run across each other in, in a couple of uh, different places, and I know we're in a mastermind where we've been focusing on on how to behave uh, in social media and how to sell socially, and recently you've joined uh, the community that I operate called the Game Changer Network, and it has just been really terrific to delve a little bit deeper in getting to know you. And one of my favorite ways to get to know people, especially when they have taken time to put what they know into a book is to interview them on my radio show. So thank you so much for taking the time this morning. John, before we dive into your book, I would love to hear your backstory. Why don't you tell us what people wouldn't see if they looked at your LinkedIn profile?
1: You know, Chickie, if if I look back to my backstory and really kind of the evolution of where I've come to with my book, started around the age of 13. Uh, My parents were living in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which was at that time it was the second largest city in in Arkansas, and Dad had an opportunity to relocate uh, to run a new company, and so for two, three, four weeks, they're telling me about it, we're going to have an opportunity to go from moving to this big city to this little small town called Russellville. And we were going to go from, you know, several hundred thousand populace, And I was a big city, nobody in school. And I was going to get to go to this very small school district, be intimately involved, get a chance to do sports, get a chance to do whatever I wanted to do. And I could be somebody. So I was all excited about that. Uh, we made the move. Dad drove the U-Haul down. We unloaded the furniture, walked into school the very first day. And sure enough, I became a somebody. I became the target of every bully in school.
0: Oh, no. And it it
1: was was not fun going home every day just frustrated and begging mom and dad to load the U-Haul back up and drive back to Fort Smith so I could go back to being a nobody that nobody bothered. And it was just a very uncomfortable place in my life. Uh, And then after a couple of weeks of that, dad says, I'm going to take care of that. So my thought was, dad's going to go have a conversation with the principal. He's going to call the bullies in. He's going to tell them stop, and it's over. No. Dad drives me downtown, uh, pulls up to this little hole-in-the-wall place, and it says karate on the window. Well, I'd been watching you know, The Green Hornet and some, some TV shows back in the day, and I'm thinking, eh, this might not be bad. I walk into the school, and they're all these big, giant adults. Now, I'm 13 years old. I'm 70 pounds, 80 pounds, soaking wet. And I'm looking at all these men that are 200 plus pounds, most of them law enforcement, military, big, big guys. I'm the only kid in the school. Dad signs me up and says, you're going to take karate classes. Well, I I thought I'm going to die. Dad's paying me to get killed in this place. (laughs) And the instructor comes up, wonderful man, uh, Grandmaster Carl Wetzel, still know the man to this day, wonderful guy. He says, John, I'm so glad you're here. He says, you're just about the right size for the only girl we have in the program. And he points me to the back of the room where this beautiful 23-year-old girl is standing. And at this point, I'm thinking, I've died and gone to heaven. I'm going to get to work out with this beautiful girl, and she's going to be my partner. Well, Chicky, little did I know she had just come out of a bad marriage relationship with an abusive husband, and she was in martial arts to learn to defend herself. So I joke when I tell my kids, I says, my dad paid for me to go to school three days a week to get beat up by a girl until I learned how to fight like a girl. So when I went back to school, I didn't get beat up anymore. But that's what happened. Uh, And it's interesting that it wasn't the self-defense aspects of karate that caused me to become no longer the target of the bullies. It was the leadership principles I learned. It was learning to walk with this quiet confidence that I don't have to be afraid. I know that I can take care of myself And as a result of that, my demeanor changed, my attitude changed, my thinking changed, and I was no longer the target of the bullies. Mm -hmm. Well, over the course of years, that has really led me to the point of the book, Black Belt Leadership, and realizing that many of us have fears that we deal with. We have inadequacies that we deal with. We have limited thinking that we deal with, and we fail to see that potential inside of us that opportunity to really become a master at whatever it is we've been put on this earth to do. Whatever God has equipped us with, he's called us to go do something with it. And most of us live these lackluster, mediocre, average lives because we don't invest in ourselves. We don't grow ourselves. We don't mature ourselves to really discover, develop, and deploy that black belt leader that's inside of us, whether it's leading in our family, leading in a sales environment leading and leading a company leading and pastoring a church leading as a school teacher whatever it may be those same core concepts are there and important to learn but it's something many of us don't and as a result of that at the end of our lives we look back and we say if only and that's something i want to try to take out of people's vocabulary because it's not if only it's what if and they begin to see those what if possibilities when they begin to learn to think like a black belt.
0: Hmm. Well, I love that story. And having moved around a lot when I was young, now I didn't have the bully aspect of it, but uh, I also happened to be a pastor's kid, and so that had its own stigma. And yes, you know, yeah. I just I wasn't accepted into you know the popular kids groups. So that was uh, something that I had to get over. So. So fast forward, you, you graduated from high school. Did you go on to college? Did you go uh, directly into the work environment? Tell us about that phase.
1: You know, I actually went into college. And when I went into college, it was interesting in terms of what I was doing there. Um, you know, I went to college for a couple of years. I was bored uh, because you know when I got to college, I'm thinking I've already done this in high school. I don't have to go back and do all these basics again. Uh, I wanted to be a doctor till I flunked chemistry, and then I thought well i 'll be and because my grandfather was a doctor, but he was also a lawyer. Uh, long story there uh, that i won 't tell in this in this episode i thought well i 'll just go be a lawyer and I started going through that and got into a lot of the political science things that were there, and politics just didn 't care for that so i said i 'm going to leave and i 'm going to go work i don 't need an education. so I went into the work of day world, worked for a period of time, and I realized. If I want to be truly successful, I've got to continue to invest and grow myself. And one of the ways I did that was to go back to school, focused on what I was passionate about, and that was business and learning the the concepts of being an entrepreneur. So I got the basics of business and studying business management and business marketing, and then from that returned back into the business world and began to grow and develop companies from there. I had a knack for selling. Uh, Dad was a salesman his entire life when I was four years old. I'm sorry, in the fourth grade, uh, the man that trained him to sell took me under his wing, taught me how to sell. So I started a career in selling. Everybody kept saying, teach me to do what you do. I became a sales coach and a marketing coach. Done that for 30 years. Uh, Loved to do it, but sales and marketing is only one aspect of life. And as I look at what's going on, like you, I was a pastor's kid. I was an army brat. I was a firstborn son. So three strikes against me right out of the shoot. But I think I still turned out okay. At least my mom says I turned out okay. But out of that, I wanted to make a difference in people's lives, and I wanted to find a way that I could inspire people to achieve lofty goals. And that's really what's taken me to the point that I'm at now with doing what I'm doing, and that's teaching people to lead themselves, to lead themselves well, make good choices develop what's been put inside of them so that they can master those skill sets and go make a difference in their own community and in the world around them.
0: Well, what a great story, John. And, you know, it's funny. I laughed when you talked about uh, leaving school because you were bored because I didn't last as long as you did. Uh, I went to Oral Roberts University for one semester and I wrote a paper on the value of experience versus education, got an A plus on the paper and went home (laughs) at Thanksgiving and asked my parents if I could quit. So, uh, and, you know, kind of the rest is history for me. you know, I, I do want to dive into the book, and you know, it's really interesting because you have used uh the letters of black belt to really construct how the book is organized. Now that was either really, really lucky or really, really strategic. Uh, but I, I really love how you've used the motif from Uh, the whole karate experience uh, for the cover of your book and and even down to the the typeface that you use uh, from within the book. So I want to start with talking about why is it that believing is so important, believing in yourself? And I, I think it's interesting that you talk about the skills that you learned in this amazing class, right? But that it wasn't the physical skills that mattered. It was believing.
1: Exactly. You know, I, I believe a black belt mindset is important to everything we do because one of the things I've learned, and, and over the years, I've, I've been inducted into two martial arts hall of fames. Uh, the joke around my house is when my kids introduce me, this is my daddy punch kicks and kills people for fun. So we, we get a big laugh out of that. Uh, I've got five black belts. Uh, I now run the United States Martial Arts Hall of Fame. So I've been around a lot of amazing martial artists, martial arts systems. I've been had an opportunity to delve into the global martial arts community. But one of the things I found that's interesting in every one of these martial arts that's applicable to our life is one of the first things they teach you when you come into the school is that you have to believe that there is a black belt within you that can be developed, whether it's karate, taekwondo, Aikido, or whatever. It starts with believing, because if you don't believe in yourself, you don't believe in the gifts that you've been given, you don't believe in the passion and calling that God has put you on this earth to do, you're never going to be effective in life, because if you doubt yourself, You've created this limiting belief that will only allow you to go so far. And then you hit this lid of disbelief. And once you get there, you have limited your ability to grow yourself and to make a difference. So without belief, nothing can happen because you can't achieve what you don't believe. And so that's why belief is really that core foundation of becoming a black belt leader in life.
0: Well, and the other thing I love about the story is. You know, I can imagine getting out of the car, walking into this place, right, first seeing all of these big guys, right, the first thing you wanted to do was turn around and leave, right, which would not have allowed you to learn what you needed to learn. So part of learning is actually taking that first step. And when faced with fear or trepidation or whatever it is, pushing through that.
1: Yes. You're exactly right. You know, I was with Carly Fiorina at a leadership conference back in 2019, and Carly made a very powerful statement that speaks to that. She says, the status quo has great power, but leaders challenge the status quo to change things for the better. Most of us accept what life gives us. We're comfortable and our brains are designed to work in habitual patterns. And we get into these habitual patterns of thinking that limit our ability to grow. And when you believe in yourself and you believe you've been called to do something, you've got to get out of your comfort zone because now you've got to grow and you've got to develop and you've got to mature. You know, Take the martial arts. You walk in, what's the first thing they teach you to do? To punch. And you're punching this bag and your knuckles are bloody. And back, back then we didn't have pads and all the safety equipment. You're doing push-ups on your knuckles on a concrete floor. Uh, you know, You're punching and kicking other people. They're punching and hitting you. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. But you learn a skill set from that, and you learn to deal with the pain, and you learn to use the pain to grow, and as a result of that, you become a better version of yourself. And you're right. It's part of that belief process, but believing requires that you get out of your comfort zone and that you challenge the status quo otherwise nothing gets better. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and also, and again, my kids never made it all the way through, uh, my son actually broke his leg uh, playing football just before uh, his test for his yellow belt. And, you know, in, in very early stages, he was a tiny kid. We had uh, adopted him from Russia and, and at, uh, three years old, he was 21 pounds, which a lot of babies get to that. Yeah. So, uh, the, the next thing, and this, I think, was the most important about my kids' experience was the accountability. And they had this amazing sensei who uh, I go back occasionally to the school where my kids went to school. And that's where you know, he actually came there to do the classes uh, in, in the private school. And when I see him, I just remember with such fondness uh, that he did hold them accountable, but it, it really was with love.
1: You know, accountability is so, so important because if God has gifted you and equipped you to do things on this earth, there's an accountability to be a good steward of that. So whatever giftings you have, you've got to steward those well and use those wisely if you want to see success. But at the same time, everybody, whether they realize it or not, everybody is leading someone somewhere right now. The question is, How well are you leading yourself? Because you can't lead other people better than you lead yourself. So there's an accountability first to yourself, your gifts, your passage, and your calling. But there's also an accountability to those that you are leading to make sure that as you're leading them, you're saying and you're doing are congruent. And that you are setting the example because you're modeling the behavior before them that you want them to emulate. And one of the things I've heard John Maxwell, who's one of my personal mentors, say is John says, people do what people see. And you can say all these things in the world, but if you're saying and you're doing don't align, they're not going to follow you for very long. And you can't be a leader if nobody's following. And if you're not accountable to what you've been put on this earth to do, accountable to the process and the goal that you've set to see it be achieved and accountable to the people that are helping you get there at some point, they're going to walk away, and you find yourself alone.
0: Well, and that leads to the next point, which is communication, and I think it's very interesting, uh, first of all, that you uh, frame communication here, because in in karate, there there isn't a whole lot of communication. There isn't um, you know, I, I remember going to the the uh, competitions, mm-hmm. right? And and I mean, there there's very minimal direction, um, but the kids know exactly what to do, right? Because again, part of that is that repetition that you talked about in the learning process, right? Right. But I want to hone in on one of the things that you just said about accountability and leadership, and that is that people see your behavior before they hear what you say and they're not going to listen to you if there's incongruence in that. You're
1: exactly right.
0: And and so communication isn't just talking. I just got finished teaching a 3-day course on engagement and so many people think that that one-way voice that we have when we're, you know, trying to get people to buy from us on, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or or even within our own community uh, we try to get to the point with people that people are going to gravitate toward you, not because of your expertise. I mean, yeah, that that's important. But if they don't see you model a behavior that they want to emulate, and, and communication is where the hearts can really connect. It's not that I've heard right. you, right? Your, your stuff can fly right through my ears.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, communication is important from a sales perspective, Because if they don't know you, like you, trust you, they're not going to buy from you. But from a leadership perspective, communication has various formats. And when I teach communication uh, to individuals and organizations, I I go back to something my mom told me and actually my grandfather told me. And my mom echoed that for years is he said, son, God gave you one mouth and two ears. That means you should listen twice as much as you speak. And and I took that to heart uh, early on because I learned when I'm talking I can't learn anything. I can only learn when I'm listening. Mm -hmm. And communication is important because everybody communicates. We all speak words, but very few people actually connect so that what's in this heart is actually shared and embraced. Living out our values is one of the ways that we communicate, making sure that people see that we are people of integrity, that we are day to day consistent in what we do. That's a form of communication people overlook. It's not just the words we say. It's also how we say them. It's the nonverbals, which make up roughly 80% of communication that becomes so important. It's the emotions and the inflections behind the words. It's the actions and attitudes behind the words. And so communication is one of the biggest areas of disconnect in life. It's one of the major reasons we see divorce. One of the major reasons we see people leaving organizations is there's a lack of communication that allow clarity in what the organization's trying to accomplish and the steps in the process to get it done. And when you've got miscommunication, it creates anxiety and stress. And when people deal with those issues, oftentimes they'd rather leave than work through it. And that's why we see a lot of breakups in the home, in school, in life, because of a failure to communicate.
0: John, the next word is, is kinetic, and, and why don't you start by defining that for us, because that's not a common word that we use in conversation.
1: That's right. You know, when I talk about kinetic, when it comes to being a leader, the word kinetic means something that is in motion. You know, if we go back to Newton's laws that we learned in school, you had potential energy, which if you wind up a clock and that spring is wound up, it's tight. But until that clock starts ticking, that energy is not released. And when that energy is released, it's what we call kinetic energy. Mm -hmm. I can start a car and the engine's running. That's potential energy. But until I put the car in gear and I give it the gas, I'm not moving forward. That's kinetic energy. Leaders are people of action. You can't lead sitting on your butt. You have to lead by being out in front of people and showing them where to go. Uh, you know, I, one of the illustrations I use is you're going to take people on a safari and you take them to the jungle and you offload them off of the bus. You hand them a machete and you point into the woods and you say the temple that you guys want to go visit in these ruins are that way about five miles. Have fun. That's not being a leader. That's be, that's you know, there's no kinetic action there. But leaders are action oriented people that get things done. They model the behavior they want. They come alongside those that are following, and they empower and they equip them through learning to do the things necessary to see success. And then they become their cheerleaders and coaches so that together you hack your way through the jungle to get to these ancient ruins you want to go visit and explore so that as a group you arrive at the destination. But if you never pick up the machete and start chopping your way through the woods, you can't lead people. It just doesn't happen. And so being kinetic means putting what you want to do into action.
0: And John, what role does boldness play? Because I I know a number of people who are put in first management roles and then later roles of of much greater authority and, and scope who don't have boldness as a personal characteristic. Is that something that can be developed?
1: Boldness can be developed. Any of the character traits that I teach in black belt leadership, just like in the martial arts, learning to block, learning to punch, learning to kick, learning to move, these are skill sets that we can develop. But boldness is important because leaders have to be out front. They have to be willing to confront and challenge the status quo. They have to be willing to go head first into adversity and problems and conflict and solve those you can't do those if you turn tail and run away. Mm-hmm. So one of the most important aspects of being a black belt leader is understanding you're going to be out front. And if a team member's not doing what needs to be done so that the team as a whole can accomplish the goals, the leader has to be the one to challenge that has to be the one to lovingly, but firmly speak into that individual's life and say, you're the weak link in the team right now. And the chain's going to break if we don't strengthen your task, your goal, and your responsibilities as part of this team, that takes boldness. Because when you get into somebody's face and you have to confront them, that's a challenge. A lot of people don't want to do that. But there's an effective way to do that, going back to communication, going back to learning how to do that. Each of the skill sets that we talk about in Black Belt Leadership builds on the next. And so when we get to the boldness, what we've learned in the previous five lessons equips us to be more bold. In the way we live, the way we act, and the way we speak.
0: Well a friend of mine this morning uh, was telling a story, and you've probably heard it before, about the buffalo and the cows. There's one place in North America where they actually coexist on the same plains and are out uh, in in the fields together. And when a storm comes, the cows turn in the direction uh, that the storm is moving. and in the middle of winter, it is not uncommon for them to get caught in the storm and to actually freeze to that. Whereas the buffalo head right into the storm, right the direction where the storm is coming from. And because of that, and it you know it doesn't take a genius to see it, you actually plow through the storm much quicker if you go with the storm. Yep. And to me that's really the characteristic of boldness because you can see things as a leader and again I I I think part of this is god-given. Uh I I was a born leader. I mean I couldn't have been anything else. Right? I it, it would have been really incredibly awkward for me to try uh to ignore that piece of of myself, but it's because I see things that other people don't see naturally, and I'm the buffalo going through the storm, right. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, so then how do you equip the people on your team, and and do you have to take them back through this same process as you, as a leader, really begins to get these leadership 101 skills under
1: your belt? You know, Chiki, when you think about equipping your people, that's the role of the leader. A role of a leader is to work himself or herself out of a job by equipping those that are on their team and empowering them to lead. And so part of that process is going back and teaching them what you've learned. The role of the leader is to take everything that's in his or her head and in his or her heart and the life experience that they've had, the successes, the failures, and the lessons learned from both, and to equip those into the team that they're leading. Because it empowers those team members by equipping them with life experience that they can learn from without having to go through and making the mistakes on their own. And as a result of that, they get a head start in being more successful. So I have an opportunity when I sit down to teach people leadership, I get an opportunity for them to not only learn what I've learned, but what I've learned from men like my dad, men from... John Maxwell, men from Wayne Nance, other leaders that have spoken into my life over the years and have really shared with me their learning experience, their life experience. And so, from that, when I pass that on, I'm giving a wealth of knowledge and information, but more importantly, the wisdom of how to successfully use it so that I'm creating the best possible opportunity for those that I'm leading and cultivating as leaders to rise to the top and then have the opportunity to take their own first steps as a leader. And then from there to grow into whatever it is that God's called them to do.
0: So as as you equip your people, uh, then of course, the next thing is really building a cohesive team. And John, I think we're probably about the same age. And when I was in corporate life, I grew up in uh, the old command and control style companies. Mm -hmm. Really, really bright people at the top. I I was at American Airlines for many years when Bob Crandall uh, was, was the CEO. Um, But the whole definition of loyalty was, you know, being loyal to that leader. Right. Right. And, and while I, I have no doubt that Bob Crandall in his heart really wanted to care about his people. That's not how it was uh, communicated. So loyalty was a, a one-way street. Command and control, I'm, I'm smart, I'm the leader, I'm, I'm this person, uh, you're loyal to me in everything that you do. You do what I say, not what I do, right? All of those things that completely counteract everything that you have talked about up to date. So talk to me about the new vision of loyalty and how loyalty fits into leadership one-on-one.
1: Absolutely, Chicky. You know, when we think about loyalty, when it relates to leadership, loyalty is bi-directional and actually it's multi-directional because we think of, and we've learned from, you know, typical business one-on-one that you learn in college is that there's a hierarchy. And everybody answers to the one above them. And so that's understood. We answer to our parents as kids. We answer to our school teachers. We answer to our professors. That part is a learned behavior. But where leaders make a difference is they understand that loyalty goes not only to those above you. Loyalty goes to your peers that are at the same level that you are. And loyalty also goes to those that you're leading. And so it's important when we think about loyalty is to understand going back to what we've talked about in building up to this point is that I have an obligation and responsibility to make sure that the people that I'm leading have everything they need so that they can individually see success and that corporately we can see success. I have a responsibility to those that are on the same level I am to come alongside and help them become a better version of themselves by sharing my talents and abilities. But I also have a loyalty to the individuals, the men and women that have spoken into my life and continue to speak into my life to shepherd what they've told me, not to abuse that or use that for my own personal gain to the detriment of others, but to be true to the values and principles and non-negotiables in their lives at every level of every relationship. And a good leader doesn't have to have a title. I love Mark Sandberg's book, You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader, and that's true. And a leader can lead in a 360 environment. You can lead those that are above you if they're lacking in a skill set that you have. You can lead those that are on the same level for the same reason. And you're leading those that are following you because they haven't yet learned to do what you do, to say what you say, and to know what you know. And so there's an obligation there to make sure that those values, and that you're being truthful and genuine at every level of the relationship.
0: So we've talked about learning, right, and, and stepping into that environment where we can learn and and believing, actually, which has to proceed that you have to believe that you can actually accomplish it being accountable, communicating, having this kinetic energy that that actually demonstrates what it is that we know, and then boldness, equipping, and loyalty. How does all this play into transformation? Because without the ability to transform the area around you, uh, the business impact uh, the people, and I love that, you know, making your people into a better version of themselves as well as yourself, That's right. right? Where does transformation play in all
1: of this? You know, transformation is the next to last trait. And, you know, if you have an opportunity and you look through my book, I talk about black belt and there's one other trait we'll touch on after transformation, Chickie. But transformation really begins to happen as you apply these principles, these concepts that we've talked about. As you learn to believe, you begin to open your eyes to see possibilities that were always there, but you didn't know how to seize them. Then we start learning how to capitalize on those and to do something different in our lives. that transforms us from there. We understand the accountability aspect of that, that we have to be accountable to what we're learning. And then we move on in from there into moving through the next steps as we walk through that, being able to be kinetic, to be bold. But transformation takes place when we become a better version of ourselves. And as we do that and we equip our team, think for example, a corporation. If I'm working in a business and I'm teaching these concepts and all of a sudden, everybody begins to believe in themselves. They begin to learn new things and new and innovative ways in doing things. They begin to apply those things. They become accountable and loyal to each other. Guess what happens? Productivity increases. Interactivity among the team gets better. New and innovative ways to create a better outcome, to reduce costs, to improve efficiencies, all of those things begin to be revealed as the team comes together. And that's where transformation takes place. You know, I love Ray Kroc, who was the brain trust behind McDonald's. And one of the things that Ray said years ago uh, that just really stuck with me was he said, as long as you're green, you're growing. But once you're ripe, you start to rot. Now, think about that. Nobody wants to work with a rotten leader.
0: Right. But if
1: we're not continually staying rooted in these principles that we've talked about, we can't continue to transform. And if you think about a tomato, once it gets to the point that it's fully grown and it cuts off receiving nutrients from the ground, growing, learning, maturing, and expanding, it falls off the vine.
0: Right.
1: And it begins to turn into this black, nasty, horrible thing that nobody wants to eat so that transformation process is what i like to say becoming a better version of yourself every single day because if i'm the same person today that i was yesterday i'm not improving i'm not growing Mm -hmm. and the minute i stop improving and stop growing i've just limited my potential to lead and at some point those that are following are going to outgrow me as a leader, and they no longer need me, and they move on to something else. So transformation is really the act of understanding that leadership is a lifelong process. Most people don't know when you get a black belt. They think it's the end of the journey, but a black belt is a symbol in traditional martial arts that you have just now become a serious student. And so as an example, uh, my core style is Shorin Rue, and the founder of Shorin Rue had two belts in his system. You were a white belt. You trained in his school in Okinawa for years, and after two, three, four years of showing up every day, being consistent, being diligent, showing yourself to be capable, he would give you a black belt, and you moved to the front of the room. That didn't mean you were the teacher. It meant now you were a model student that newer students could watch as an example But then after the beginner class was over, the black belt stayed with the master instructor and he taught them what they really needed to know to use that skill set, to expand that skill set, but also the mindset and the leadership principles behind it so that it could influence and shape every part of your life. And so a black belt is really a lifetime learning leader that has said, I am going to transform myself just a little bit every single day, because what got me to here is not going to keep me here. And if I don't keep growing, I'm not going to be equipped for what comes tomorrow.
0: Right.
1: That's why transformation is important.
0: Right. And so the last characteristic is leadership, is
1: leadership. And it's actually a term in the Japanese called Mushin. Now, Mushin is a term that means no mind. And in the martial arts, when you would begin to learn and you would come in and somebody would try to hit you on the head, you had to think, I've got a block, I've got a block, I've got a punch, I've got a kick. Well, after a period of time, you begin to internalize these skills so that you begin to see before it happens, somebody's getting ready to throw a punch, somebody's getting ready to go throw a kick. You don't have to think, you just do. And so as we learn these nine character traits in our lives and we begin to transform, all of a sudden, Chickie, you don't have to stop and say, well, what would a leader say in this scenario? Because you've learned over time to speak like a leader. What would a leader do in this scenario? You don't have to ask that question because you've learned what leaders do, because you've learned, you've found a group of mentors that can speak into your life to help continue to equip and train you. Well, how would a leader act? What would a leader's attitude be? Those things you don't think about because they literally become who you are. One of the greatest examples I saw of that was Bruce Lee. And Bruce tells a story, and you can go out and find it on YouTube, where he talks about a cup and a pitcher. He says, if you take water and you pour it in a cup, it becomes the cup. If you pour water in a pitcher, it becomes the pitcher because it takes the shape of whatever is necessary. It knows instinctively what to do. Leadership is the same way. And as we go through this transformational process, it becomes a part of our thinking. It becomes a part of our DNA. It becomes who we are, what we do, and how we live our lives. And at that point, we truly become a black belt leader who lives life with black belt excellence.
0: Well, thank you so, so much, John, for sharing your story and, and for being transparent in that. Uh, that That's a really important part of communication and leadership in my book. And I, I really love uh, the simplicity of how you present this information, because anyone can can sit back and say, yep, that's the kind of leader I want to be. And it's actually achievable when you take a look at, at how you've laid it out. So thank you so much. Again, we have been talking to John Terry, and he is the author of Black Belt Leadership 101, What It Takes to Be a Black Belt Leader in Life. John, if folks want to follow you or they want to contact you, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Jackie, the easiest way to get a hold of me is to go to my website be a black belt They can connect with me there and get access to all my social media. They can access my leadership blog, everything that's there. One site, be a black belt
0: Wonderful. Well, John, again, thank you so much. And for those of you who've been listening today, we have been talking about an aspect of leadership that will change your game. And, and that is really uh, beginning with the simplicity of, Uh, of the principles that John learned uh, very early in life and taking on the martial arts and has transformed his own leadership and teaching style. So I encourage you to go out and get the book, Black Belt Leadership 101, and uh, join us again for another session of The Game Changer next Friday. Thanks, John.
1: Jakey thank you for the invitation.
0: Perfect. You've been listening to The Game Changer, ideas, inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald.
1: Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. c sweet Radio, turning the volume up on business.